From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Blazing Pascal. We need to establish what the optimal parameters are for the Pascal as we as we go ahead and treat patients with this kind of laser. First this. You're enjoying As Seen From Here, the landmark podcast from the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, launched way back in February of 2005. Why not enjoy some of the other ASCRS offerings, including the ASCRS Symposium in Congress, the meeting to end all meetings in ophthalmology, or the ASCRS Winter Update, where you can meet one-on-one with some of ophthalmology's most important leaders in a beautiful setting. Or see the future of ophthalmology at iSpace MD, the global ophthalmic classroom brought to you by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. If you're a resident, check out openophthalmology.com, an extensive lecture series on clinical optics. And remember, Residents and fellows can join the ASCRS at no cost. But please, don't do any of these things until you've enjoyed this episode of As Seen From Here. The development of movable type changed the dissemination of knowledge, chiefly by decreasing the expense of the reproduction of written material. In a funny sort of way, Illuminated manuscripts have a parallel in panretinal photocoagulation. Manual treatments are giving way to the cognitive movable type in panretinal laser surgery, the Pascal treatment system. But in the same way that movable type is not exactly the same thing as a manuscript, Pascal is not exactly the same as manual PRP. Although the indications for treatment are the same, are the results really equivalent? Nadia Wahid has examined the subject and has presented her results in a recent paper, and I'm delighted to have her as my guest today. Nadia, let me start out with what I think is the hardest question. How does PRP work? I think that um, there is some debate about how exactly PRP works, but um, basically we know that diabetes is a vasculopathy um, and uh, it starts affecting the small blood vessels in the retina and creates a hypoxic state um, within the retina. Um, with PRP laser, what we're doing is we're uh, burning the RPE and the adjacent photoreceptor cells in the outer retina, and um, and and you know this is thought to um, work in a couple of ways to prevent neovascularization. The first is that the photoreceptors, of course, are the, some of the most metabolically active cells in the in the outer retina, and so uh, destroying some of them reduces the oxygen needs of the outer retina and makes more oxygen available. Uh, to the inner retina. Uh, the second reason that it's thought to work is that it possibly allows greater diffusion of oxygen from the choroid um, into the inner retina. And as you recall, normally um, the circulation, blood circulation of uh, the choroid only supplies oxygen to the outer retina and doesn't really, uh, doesn't really oxygenate the inner retina. But of course, um, creating these PRB burns, you may be allowing the oxygen to diffuse into the inner retina and thereby uh, providing more oxygen into the inner retina. And, you know, there, some people have suggested that um, 
Neovascularization may also be inhibited by laser-induced alteration of meta- matrix metalloproteinases uh, and uh, tissue inhibitors of metalloproteinase production uh, by the retinal pigment epithelium. So um, I think we know what PRP does. I'm not, I'm not convinced that we know exactly how it works, but, but all of these potentially are mechanisms by which PRP then reduces VEGF production and um, reduces neovascularization um, in diabetics. Nadia, what is Pascal, and how does it differ from traditional PRP? Um, so Pascal is, uh, you know, the name stands for Pattern Scanning Laser, um, and, and it's a very interesting uh, kind of a laser. One, it's it's a different um, it's a different wavelength that we're talking about. This is a frequency doubled YAG laser, uh, five thirty two uh, nanometers, as opposed to the argon green, which is, you know, we're looking at a five fourteen nanometer wavelength. Um, it is um, much shorter in duration. Uh, the pulses are about 20 milliseconds each, uh, so it's a much quicker laser. And one of the reasons it's called a pattern scanning laser is because the duration of the laser pulses is so short. Um, the Pascal laser can deliver arrays of spots. So, you know, it can deliver arrays of up to 56 spots, although most of us don't use an array that large, but it can deliver up to 56 spots um, in, in, you know, in less than... Uh, 0.5.6 of a second with just a single pedal depression. So it's kind of it's an array laser which uh, delivers a whole bunch of spots very rapidly uh, into the retina just because it's a different wavelength and a much shorter duration than traditional argon laser. Pascal is marketed as safer than traditional PRP. On what basis is this claim made? So there are a couple of things. Um, one, the mechanism of uh, by which the Pascal works is, um, you know, just different from the mechanism by which argon works because the pulse durations are so much shorter. We're not looking at thermal injury in Pascal laser. What we're actually looking at is that there's mechanical rupture, there's transient vaporization next to the melanosomes, and that uh, actually uh, disrupts. Um, the RPE cells and the photoreceptors, as opposed to the argon laser, where uh, it is really a thermal burn that we're creating. Because it's mechanical uh, disruption, uh, therefore the area um, over which a Pascal works is much more discrete than the area over which an argon laser works. So think of it as causing less collateral damage than the argon laser. Um, and so, you know, the, the burn size is, uh, is, is smaller for Pascal laser. Uh, it doesn't spread as much as it does in argon laser. It's more limited to exactly what you're targeting. Uh, the other part, of course, is uh, the fact that because you're, you're not, heat is not penetrating into the choroid, it's much less painful um, than, uh, than, than traditional argon laser. Um, and, of course, uh, some people, uh, you know, it's marketed as having a lower risk of uh, causing vitreous hemorrhage and, and other complications, uh, such as the inflammatory complications that you can see as a result of traditional argon laser. When you say that the burn size is smaller, it's it's not that the, the Pascal spot size is that much smaller than the PRP spot size the way that, that PRP oh. is done now. It's that the the area next to the the spot is is less burned with PRP than excuse me is less burned with with Pascal than 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 with PRP. Absolutely. So there's you know so um, with the Pascal laser you're 
delivering the same spot size approximately as you are with the argon laser. It's just because it's a, it's a mechanical disruptive process as opposed to a heating and cooking process. There's less collateral damage. So we can actually see that when we look at, you know, Pascal burns versus argon burns. Um, all of us know that when we put our traditional argon laser burns, we notice that the first, you know, the gray-white spot that we put in kind of spreads a little bit if you, if you look at that burn over a period of time. And when the actual scar forms, it's bigger than the actual burn that you had created when you'd first gone in and, and put the spot. Um, the difference with Pascal is that the scar size pretty much matches up with the initial spot size that you put in into the retina, which is usually about the same as that which you put in for, for the argon laser, about 500 microns or so. Now, having said this, why might Pascal have a smaller safety margin? Um, you know, Pascal is thought to have a smaller safety margin because the duration is um, is uh, so much less of the of the um, energy that you're delivering. Uh, that as the as the time duration of the burn decreases, the the actual power difference between what you require to create a burn, a subtherapeutic burn, say, versus the power difference that you will require to uh, rupture the Brooks membrane and cause a complication is is much lower than it would be in a traditional argon laser. So you you have to be very careful about titrating uh, the Pascal laser upwards. You can't titrate the power upwards to get um, a good burn the same way as you would with a traditional argon laser. Uh, you just have to be careful about dialing it up because you know the, the difference between a subtherapeutic burn and a, a burn that is too hot and ruptures the Brooks membrane, Brooks membrane is is uh, not not huge. Nadia, what question did your study seek to answer? So in our study, um, we were looking uh, to evaluate whether the Pascal laser was as efficacious as the uh, argon laser in uh, treating uh, proliferative diabetic retinopathy. And when we talk about efficacious, we were looking at you know several endpoints, including most importantly, regression of neovascularization and uh, preventing recurrence of neovascularization. Can I get you to describe the design of your study? Sure. So this was this was a, a retrospective study that was um, done at the Cola Institute. And what we did was, uh, when we got the Pascal laser, we uh, took the first 41 eyes that were treated with the Pascal laser and which had six or more months of follow-up. And then uh, we matched them with the 41 eyes that were treated with argon laser just prior to when we got the Pascal laser and which had six or more months of follow-up. Um, and we compared these two uh, groups. Uh, we did a chart review, basically. Uh, it was a retrospective study, like I mentioned, and compared these two groups uh, to look at various uh, the various outcome measures uh, of the study. And, and what were your main outcome measures? So um, we looked at a few. Uh, I think our primary outcome measure really was uh, looking at the persistence or recurrence of neovascularization. Uh, in uh, proliferative diabetics, but we also looked at, at other complications of proliferative diabetic retinopathy, such as the incidence of vitreous hemorrhage, uh, neovascularization of the iris, neovascular glaucoma, uh, the need and the need for vitrectomy. What were your results? What were your findings? So, you know, what we found uh, in these patients was that there was definitely a significant difference in uh, the persistence or recurrence of neovascularization over the course of the six months duration. Um, 
over at least six months. So, you know, the average follow-up time period was really eight months, but uh, at least over the, uh, you know, all patients had at least six months of, of follow-up. And there was uh, definitely a difference in the neovascularization or persistence, persistence or recurrence rate. Uh, the rate of persistence or recurrence was much higher in the Pascal laser. We're looking at about 70, over 70%, as opposed to the argon laser, where we're looking at about 34% or so. Um, this was a significant difference. And there was also, we found, uh, a somewhat higher rate of vitreous hemorrhage in patients with the Pascal laser as, a, as compared to the argon laser. Uh, but, of course, that did not reach significance. And we think that our study may not have been powered uh, to detect a difference, uh, a small difference of the level uh, at which we're seeing uh, for vitreous hemorrhage. You and I talked about the difference in treatment size, in, in, in burn size, even though the, the spot size for the, the PRP and, and Pascal are comparable. Now, w- why might the difference in burn size be relevant to the findings of this study? I think what uh, what we're looking at really is um, is that we're treating patients with the Pascal laser with parameters that were really established for the PRP laser, uh, and you know uh, so whereas when we treat patients with these parameters that we're used to, you know, a 500 micron spot size, uh, somewhere between 1,000 to 1,500 spots, uh, we're looking at a certain percentage of the retina being destroyed with argon laser, uh, and this is usually effective in um, in uh, preventing the recurrence of neovascularization and usually effective in, in causing regression of neovascularization. When we do the same kind of treatment using those same parameters in um, in the in the Pascal laser, what we're looking at is that very that a much smaller volume of the retina is actually being targeted by the Pascal laser. Uh, the spot size is smaller. There's less retinal destruction, and so we think that uh, the oxygen demand of the outer retina may not be as profoundly affected by Pascal laser using these parameters that were defined for the argon laser as it is by doing traditional argon laser. So, you know, when we do traditional argon laser, we're looking at a 20% reduction in oxygen demand of the outer retina. When we're doing a Pascal laser, there's much less destruction of the outer retina, and um, and it may well be that, uh, you know, that reduction in oxygen demand uh, that we need to prevent uh, new neovascularization and to cause regression uh, just hasn't happened. Why do you think Pascal was less effective than traditional PRP? You know, I think, uh, again, I, to some extent, um, I answered that um, in, the, in the previous, you know, in the previous uh, question. But, but really what we're looking at is uh, we are treating patients with Pascal laser on parameters that were defined for the argon laser. Um, and so uh, these parameters might not hold for the Pascal, which is essentially just a completely different kind of a laser. Um, I don't necessarily believe that the Pascal is less effective. I just think that um, that we need to uh, figure out what the appropriate parameters are, whether those be a larger spot size, uh, whether those be more burns than we would apply in a traditional PRP laser. Um, you know, all of these are options um, uh, and, and, you know, that really, I think, is the reason that the Pascal uh, in our study was, was less effective than traditional PRP because for so many years we're used to these criteria that were developed by the EDDRS and the DRS uh, for, um, 
for our traditional argon laser, and these might not hold in this kind of laser that is essentially a different a different uh, kind of a laser. We're really comparing apples to oranges to some extent, and we need to establish what the optimal parameters are for the Pascal um, as we as we go ahead and treat patients with this kind of laser. That in essence, comparable settings for the two lasers don't really yield comparable treatments. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Your paper describes a transition in your own clinic from traditional PRP to Pascal. In in light of these findings, what do you now do in your own practice, Nadia? So you know, I think that um, we like using the Pascal because um, it is, to some extent, much easier on the patient. There's much less pain involved, we notice, than with the traditional argon laser, uh, and I do believe that it is. Uh, probably very effective when appropriate parameters uh, are used. Um, in light of what we've seen over here, we do tend to do very careful follow-up of our patients. We do tend to treat them uh, with uh, more spots than I would traditionally put in uh, with an argon laser. Uh, and that's not very difficult to do with a Pascal and may sometimes be achieved in just you know one treatment, which is, which is hard to do with, with the argon because there's obviously more pain involved, um, and it's very fatiguing to the patient. The Pascal is much faster and, and much less pain and much less inflammation afterwards, to our experience, from what we've noticed, um, just applying the Pascal. So I do tend to be more vigilant about putting in more spots, more vigilant about following up these patients very carefully and making sure that the neovascularization is regressing and then treating uh, as needed with, with additional laser. Of course, we're also fortunate now in that we have anti-VEGF treatments as ancillaries to the laser. And so, uh, you know, we don't have to depend entirely upon creating more scars and destroying more retina in causing uh, neovascularization to regress. Um, and so we do uh, mix up the laser with quite a bit of, um, of using anti-VEGF agents as well where, where the need may arise. From patient perspective, it's just a really nice laser. Also from the physician perspective, you know, your patients are much more comfortable. The duration of treatment is much shorter. Um, the uh, pain associated with the laser is much less. There is, you know, less, at least we notice that there is less uh, inflammation happening post-laser. Uh, but but we also do tend to, you know, mix and match it with, uh, with quite a bit of anti-VEGF uh, treatment because, uh, you know, you only want to destroy uh, as much of the retina as is necessary and no more than that. Um, and so I think that, that mix and match really helps. Nadia, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ash. Nadia Wahid is Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts. Her paper, Pan-Retinal Photocoagulation for Proliferative Diabetic Retinopathy, Pattern Scan Laser versus Argon Laser appears in the January 2012 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Wahid or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.